0: Part One of Old Hampshire Vignettes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. Old Hampshire Vignettes by Lenore Falconer. Part One, Chapters One Through Three. One, The Valley not far from the matting crowd lay the valley as we remember it a journey of barely two hours divided it from london but the traveller thence in that brief time passed from one world to another he felt the change as he stepped from the train not merely in the crystalline air the smoke untarnished green the silence broken only by soft pastoral noises these it had in common with other country places A thousand times more beautiful, but few ever breathed such ineffable repose as this shallow, low-rimmed valley, fed by streams, glassy, cool, and translucent, as those in which Sabrina knotted the loose train of her amber-dropping hair. These waters, and the goodly trees they nourished, were all it had to boast of. The amateur of scenery might bewail the absence of bold outline or of wide outlook, but perhaps for that very reason did the victim of town fever love it and steep himself with rapture in its sleepy calm. The voices of the sea or of the mountains never sounded there, nor any that stir to daring deeds or strenuous effort. Peace was the perpetual lullaby of this lowly land which even the winter winds visited not too roughly and summer half buried in luxuriant bloom as rest after storm it was perfect but what of its influence on those who lived and died within its borders it bred a kindly but uninspiring race noted so strangers tell us for their dullness their apathy their capacity for doing nothing invaluable qualities in those times the source of future sanity and health, perhaps, and destined, let us hope, to furnish presently an inestimable drag to the headlong career of the Midlands and the North. 2. GRANNY BOLTER Over Granny BOLTER's memory, as over herself, conjecture is still at work and at fault, whilst conflicting testimony leaves us uncertain as to whether she was rich or poor sick or well a saintly martyr or an arrant hypocrite in appearance granny bolter was handsome and refined with well-cut features and fine-spun hair rippling in white curls about her cap her manner is best pictured by the word genteel and genteel as well as pious was the plaintive tone of her whole demeanour and conversation. In language barely tinged by the dialect of the valley, she discoursed with admirable fluency and much dramatic play of look and gesture. These arts of expression were used, though used in vain, to describe the strange agonies from which she suffered, but which, as she assured us, no tongue could tell. Her only wonder was that she remained alive, and this amazement was shared by all who knew her and her singular method of self-treatment. "'If you please, mum, Mrs. Bolter is—took very bad, and would you kindly let her have a piece of plum cake?' Pork was another favourite remedy. She partook of it largely without fear, and, what is more remarkable, without regret.' and, indeed, her system was so far justified by experience that the only fare her inexplicable constitution ever seriously resented was a surfeit of tinned lobster. By that, indeed, it was rudely shaken. She was declared by her housemates to be dying, but as this was a matter of monthly occurrence, perhaps it was not the fault of the lobster after all with a diet of this kind it will be easily understood that she required a good deal of stimulus at one bountiful house in the neighbourhood the butler was heard to exclaim with some anxiety that he hoped the cask of tarragona might outlast the old lady but it is probable that the contents of this cask with the wine and spirits supplied by other generous persons cheered the fainting spirits of more than granny bolter this aged invalid was the central figure in a very unpleasing family group who for one thing proved as a striking exception is said to prove the rule of cleanliness in the valley there was ada her pretty granddaughter who had not time to do anything not even to bind up the luxuriant hair which often rolled in confusion about her shoulders there were ada's two little children begrimed with dirt and tears and usually stamping and screaming at their mother there was ada's husband a stranger in the valley foolishly imported there by ada herself not usually to be seen in afternoon visits but frankly described by his wife and her grandmother as a man of evil temper and selfish ways All these were supposed to consume so large a share of the good things presented to Granny Boulter that when they withdrew to a distant town there was much rejoicing among her friends. An excellent woman was hired to take their place and wait on Granny Boulter as they had never waited. The cottage was scrubbed and whitewashed, Granny herself was no less embellished, and nourished by duly-served and well-cooked meals, showed signs of gaining flesh and even color. Unfortunately, this reformation was more appreciated by Granny's visitors than by herself. The advantages were, in her eyes, entirely outweighed by one serious drawback, on which she dilated with all her accustomed eloquence and pathos. It was want of company the nurse unlike ada was too much addicted to cooking and scrubbing to be constantly chatting with granny bolter and on sundays the nurse's husband a hale young man preferred spending his holiday tete-a-tete with his wife to sitting beside granny's bedside the result was a dullness that appeared more intolerable than the physical torments which no words could depict it drove granny bolter to a desperate resolution the very mention of which struck the hearers with dismay at underton a small town about six miles distance a daughter of granny bolter had long been settled there she lived in a very cramped abode with a husband addicted to drink and a large and lively family of small children this was the cheerful circle in which granny now fervently desired to end her days there she protested without fear of contradiction there i should have plenty of company and there was another allurement of which she spoke with glistening eyes they have a nice fat pig and in just about a week it will be ready to kill but all this on the lips of so frail a sufferer who could hardly sit up while her bed was made sounded like a beautiful but feverish dream till a crude reality was imparted to the situation by the arrival of her daughter and son-in-law with intent to carry out her wishes in discouragement of what appeared so dangerous a step they were informed that the contributions which had hitherto supported her would be discontinued if she left the village their dignified rejoinder that she was quite independent of such assistance startled all but those liars and slanderers she would have dubbed them who spoke of her as a lady of ample means there still remained the apparently insuperable difficulty of her removal its accomplishment simple as it was unexpected forms the last in that coruscation of surprises with which her career dramatically closes granny bolter rose from her bed ate an excellent dinner and then in a fly drove over to underton with no more evil effects than the nervous shock inflicted on the nurse and other spectators of her flight with this fell the curtain and the village knew her no more nor indeed did underton know her very long for some weeks afterwards we learned by accident that our poor old friend was dead and buried concerning her decease her relatives are reserved Its immediate cause had not been made plain, and whether she died of too much company or too much pig is part of that mystery which will never be dispelled. 3. Harkaway Though bandy-legged and with a faint resemblance to a bulldog in the contour of his jaw, Harkaway was at times almost a thing of beauty. At the due distance behind his master, not a hand-breadth too near or too far mounted usually upon a restive horse he rode with that ease and command of the situation which on his own particular ground invests the proficient with almost regal importance every detail of his dress polished leather shining button immaculate cloth displayed that perfection in detail which seems so easy to attain when it is there and proves so much the reverse when it is not, being indeed one of those costly trifles whose lowest price is continual trouble his sternly set mouth and slightly knitted brows reflected the impassive attention of the well-bred english servant with a faint suggestion of ferocity in reserve to be quickly let slip should his master require it a survival like his garb of a turbulent past when outriders were not merely ornamental and serving-men fought as well as followed a good specimen of its class is always of value and here was the very type and ideal of that now cosmopolitan figure the groom anglais who in modern fiction french german what not gives the last touch of elegant realism to studies of high life and low morals the expectations aroused by such a first sight were in the main fulfilled the descent to Earth was certainly disenchanting. dismounted he appeared an insignificant little mortal enough, but he was one of those vigorous personalities who refused to be represented by their appearance. His punctilious deference to his betters in no wise detracted from his sturdy Anglo-Saxon independence or from that complete self-possession which is the mark of high rank in more than social grade his too was the well-founded self-confidence which inspires confidence in others his inferiors instinctively obeyed him his superiors as instinctively relied on him and both on the whole were justified by events an excellent servant was the verdict of each successive employer whatever may have been the qualifying postscript he worked indeed after a fashion rare even in a generation less instilled than the present with the doctrines that to labor with the hands is degrading and to do one's best ungenerous to the weaker brother in happy ignorance of such subtleties harkaway pursued his calling much as in the learned professions men of good breeding follow theirs with a pride in the work and an interest in its results quite apart from the question of fees pocketed to this may have been added some of the artist's delight in his handiwork since the same minute perfection already spoken of in his dress was maintained in every corner of his domain his horse's flanks shone like satin, every inch of metal on harness or housing glistened brilliantly in the sunlight, and even places so unpicturesque as the stable and the saddle-room were invested with what Dudin, quoting Xenophon, has called the poetry of cleanliness and order. Work of this kind is neither to be bought nor to be recompensed by money only, still less the graces that in him accompanied it of kindness to animals and courtesy to men. The creatures in his charge he handled as if he loved them, as probably he did, gentle when they were well, tender when they were sick or sorry. So testified his fellow-servants, but even more convincing was the mute assurance of the animals themselves, as well in their plump and prosperous condition as by demonstrations of affection that at ceremonious times became positively annoying ha done then was often his cry before the front door when the repeated caresses of the horse or pony at whose head he was standing flecked his livery with foam as to fine manners they too are beyond price and what better deserves to be so called than the way in which some hirelings pay their due of service not of necessity but cheerfully as if fulfilling not a bargain but their own heart's desire this was harkaway's manner and it was probably not merely manner if the man or the woman on whom he waited was gentle in more than name for he was keenly alive to graciousness here was disclosed that feminine strain however slight which is said to be indispensable to the finest work as well as to the finest manners and to this no doubt he owed the tact which his place his education and his career considered was his most surprising trait according to very young people it was most conspicuous on the question of weather especially when persons still subject to parents and guardians were bent on expeditions his practice in anticipation of christian science was firmly to assume that whatever it might appear the day in reality was and would remain fine at the hour appointed fair or foul with carriage or saddle-horse he was always at the door if the rain was actually falling he was sure it would not be anything much if a hurricane plainly impended he said there might be stams and all this with a look and intonation more eloquent than words, since they hypnotically conveyed to his audience that he stood, while he spoke, under a sky as calm as it was cloudless. In more complex situations he was equally agile. Composed and respectful, he would slide in and out of slippery places, adroitly conciliating very different and very difficult people the careless and the punctilious the dull and the lively the sportsman the bookworm the old master whom nobody pleased the young master who pleased nobody were one and all captivated that second sight which detects character enabled him no doubt to choose for every one the right horse the right way the right word on his own level this was comprehensible enough but when called upon to soar far above it he was equally happy the very word aesthetic was certainly unknown to him how then when called upon to find a congenial ride for lady sylvia let us call her did he instantly propose a glade in the forest where as he himself explained the primroses was in thousands and nightingales sang beautiful the fact is he was himself an idealist the stunted idealist of unpropitious circumstances, so little studied because so seldom recognized. They worship what they mistake for the beautiful. Hence, no doubt, his immense respect for form and ceremony, and his corresponding abhorrence of any lapse therefrom, so often expressed in the phrase, "'It looks so bad!' It looked so bad, for instance, when young people, under his charge, held their reins, their whips, or, worst of all, themselves, in the wrong way. In his remonstrances at such times there was a tone of almost pathetic entreaty. "'What I looks to, miss,' he said solemnly to one pupil, "'is that if you so uses yourself to put your hand upon the pummel, you'll do it some day afore company.' when his feeling of the becoming was outraged by those who on account of their age or position could not be so frankly addressed he contrived to convey his rebuke with less directness but with equal force he was once cut to the heart by a lady visitor who persisted in writing his spirited pets as if they had been hired and time-worn hacks when a natural accident, and doubtless in his opinion, manifest judgment, ensued, his comment was delivered with marked emphasis, not to the offender, but to someone close beside her, "'You see, ma'am, these yer hosses will stand no cherrupin', no a-chuckin' uh, at the reins.' But there was idealism, pure and simple in the character of his work, still more in that of his personal service." By his munificent interpretation of his part in the contract, he succeeded in divesting it of all that was menial, and raising it to the same degree as the homage of a noble to his king. His master, for the time being, received from him what in practice was very like warm affection. That master's honour and interests became Harkaway's own, more sedulously guarded than his own. That master's wishes, as well as his orders, were studied and obeyed with a zeal that nothing less than sympathy can inspire. To that master's convenience or caprice he was ready at any moment to minister with complete self-forgetfulness, with careless resignation, if need be, of food and sleep, comfort and rest, and that not merely willingly, but eagerly, thus recalling to some of us st francis de sale's distinction between those who in a higher service only walked and those who ran all he had to render he rendered in full measure pressed down and running over and had more been required that doubtless would have been forthcoming like many others in the backwaters of life he suggested greater things than he achieved and was able to make certain to those who knew him best that in the hunting-field or elsewhere had the safety of his lord still more of his lady demanded the sacrifice of his life that too would have been laid down as a soldier lays his simply promptly and as a matter of course after this the experienced reader will be prepared for a decrescendo and perhaps may foresee in what particular direction in spite of all that has been said sooner or later to all employers of and friends of this engaging little person there came a day of shock and discomfiture an unprofessional sloping of the whip if he were on the coach-box a most unwonted slouch of the shoulders if he were in the saddle A mysterious lack of poise if he stood upon the ground, first startled attention, and then disclosed to it an almost incredible transformation. Gone was the keen and clever, if ugly, little face, and in its stead a flushed and sodden mask, smiling in sickliest fashion at the dismayed beholder if any doubt remained as to his condition it was dispelled by his articulation when he endeavoured to speak it is true that the attack like that of the temper which in leech's sketch wrecks the drawing-room was over in a minute or to speak more precisely in a day or two after that as alert as ever and less abashed than might have been expected the veritable harkaway reappeared and continued to do and to be all that could be wished until the same episode was repeated it was characteristic of his influence on those around him that they all high and low at once began to make excuses it was the fault of the coachman under whom he had graduated it was the fault of his wife who was slovenly and dirty it was the fault of his children who were strangely perverse of one master who overworked him, or of another who overindulged him. To this was added the suggestion that Harkaway, drunk, was on the whole more efficient than most stablemen sober, especially in comprehending and executing orders. It was probably not so much these considerations as the power of personal fascination which inspired them that made one master after another so long-suffering towards him." but even to this there was a limit and it was always at last overstepped danger may be accepted more readily than ignominy and no milder word depicts the fate of those whom he habitually escorted during these attacks which were not to be foreseen and forestalled his regard for appearances with every other sane and useful instinct was for the time in and he was capable of presenting himself in the plight described even afore company and considerable company too on public and festal occasions when lady margaret bellenden's confusion of face was not greater than that of the unfortunate person especially the unfortunate lady of whose cavalcade or equipage at the front or the rear his was the leading or completing figure Repeated humiliations of this kind saddened and silenced his warmest advocates, and so with profound regret and recommendations as excellent as decency would permit, Harkaway would be dismissed. Not without protest or interference did this course of things continue. At least one gallant attempt to reclaim him was made by a missioner as young as she was hopeful. Harkaway responded readily too readily to her appeal he took the pledge with the greatest alacrity shortly to break it alas with equal alacrity to the various remedies of various advisers from the particular beer that by nourishing his body to the study of wood-carving that by occupying his mind were to insure him against temptation he gave a hearty reception and a fair trial betraying no resentment, nor even marked discouragement, when they one and all signally failed. The real dejection was on the point of his self-elected guide. No amount of eloquence on her part, or of gratitude on his, could bring their feelings on the point at issue into absolute accord, as may be judged from the often-cited answer to the question, Harkaway, what is a -a i don't know exactly sir but it's something a deal worse than a teetotaler. the truth is so many sayings scenes and incidents in the same merry key enlivened the course of this forlorn hope in the way of conversion that the onlookers especially the younger ones almost forgot it was not altogether a farce and yet amidst all the laughter the giddiest of them could not but feel the pity of it of this slow but sure deterioration whose outward and visible sign was the gradual translation of the spare pale groom anglais into a bloated unwieldy gnome at last fate as if weary of him struck one final and crushing blow literally as well as figuratively for as he lay one day where he had fallen, stupefied with drink, in the stable, he received on the thigh an accidental kick that left him an incurable cripple. For years after, a pitiable figure might be seen limping about the courtyard of the white, or black, hart, on market days gleaning stray sixpences and half-compassionate half-contemptuous greetings by holding or harnessing the horses of those who had known him in his prime thus ends as a tract on temperance might do this disappointing story one of the many that would seem to show that the artist of real life is often as inartistically moral as dante or shakespeare End of part one.